So last year didn't turn out as you hoped. Things took a turn. A bump. A darkened sky. And at times it may have seemed there was no hope. But here's the good news. Our God is the God of fresh starts. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Our God brings new mercies, new compassions, not just once a year, not just when things are bad, but every single morning. This year has been tough. And for many of us, things will never be the same. But we are here, breathing, maybe smiling, or crying, or shouting, or laughing. But we are here, feeling, maybe fighting, or cheering, or seeking, or grieving, but we are here living and we are not alone our God is here our God is with us and our God is the God of new creations pray with me Father God thank you so much uh, for the fact that you love the word new Jesus uh, promises new life. Your word says we are a new creation in Christ. The psalmist says, Behold, I make all things new. Your mercies are new every morning. So thank you, Father, for the newness of the new year and teach us today from your word uh, some simple principles that might help us um, Experience more of what you have for us in 2017. We love you. We love you. We thank you so much for giving us breath, for giving us life, that we might have the uh, privilege of uh, being around, Father, for the beginning of this new year. In Christ's name. Amen. So, Happy New Year! <laughs> Where did that come from? Okay, I'm going to scope that out. Okay, every time you really like something I say in the sermon, I want to hear that sound. <laughs> it's like the modern day amen, huh? Okay. <laughs> For the last 365 days, they were defined and will always be marked and remembered by four numbers. 2016. But at midnight last night, and my wife and I were very proud that our, our age, when we normally settle for the New York version of New Year's, 
thanks to a nap that we both took unexpectedly between 9 and 12 o'clock. And thanks by the grace of God for something that woke me up at 10 minutes before the hour. And I jostled Becky awake and she jumped up like, oh, did I miss it? Did I miss it? And I said, no, I need you got 10 minutes. And we were both, it takes us about 10 minutes to wake up these days. As we uh, had the joy of watching the New York ball drop again. Which, what's up with that? I mean, because does L.A. not own a ball? That's what I want to know. I'm going to start a movement. If L.A. can't do it, San Diego should. Amen? Amen. I'm picturing a big ball dropping off the Coronado Bridge right at midnight. I mean, Sydney has a bridge. They use their bridge. Anyway, get back to the sermon. But as of midnight last night, it is now 2017. It is a new year. It's not something that we just make up. It's something that God actually built into the rhythms of creation. That this newness rolls around, no matter when you want to celebrate it, once every 365 plus days. Resolutions in the new year are always popular. I have found, for me, most of them fail miserably. But I did a little research this week, and uh, according to uh, research I did yesterday, actually, the most dependable version of research these days is Google searches. And uh, so I checked out a a, a company that had based on Google web searches uh, about resolutions and goals, etc., somehow... Here's what they came up with. The number one resolution of the year, number one category, is get healthy. 63 million Google searches during this period around getting healthy. That's a 13% increase over last year. So last year was a pretty crappy, unhealthy year for a lot of us. 13% up. 7% down was actually number two on the list, which was get organized. So most of us want to get healthier, but we don't really give a rip whether we're organized. At least it's on the downward trend. Number three is to live life to the fullest. 19 million Google searches, which again was up 13%. So living life to the fullest, getting healthy, is both up 13%. Number four, what do you think number four was? New hobbies. New hobbies, up 5%. Number five, and then I'll stop there. Number five was spend less and save more. Spend less and save more. Up the biggest single jump of any of the categories was spend less and save more, up 17%. So the American culture in general is really wanting to, number one, more of us are wanting to spend less, save more, get healthy, and live life to the fullest even if it means being a little less organized than we, than we were. As I thought about this coming uh, year's sermon, which I didn't start working on last night, but as I started a couple weeks back to think what could we share, I'm happy to tell you that this one single passage in God's Word actually has relevance to all four or five of those areas. Maybe the get organized isn't quite as emphasized, but the other four of the five are all touched on in one single chapter of Scripture. Happens to be one of my favorites. So let's go there. Philippians chapter 4. I love Philippians 4 because the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. 
But the theme of the book is more than just joy as our culture thinks about joy. You've often heard me say that uh, in the culture we talk about happiness. Because that underneath all of that, spending less, saving more, experiencing life more fully, new hobbies, getting healthy, getting organized, is the root feeling in our culture that I wish life was just happier. But happiness is so often based to external things outside of me, things that I, uh, I, 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 that I, I cannot control. But yet if, if I can arrange all the pieces of my life to be what I want them to be, then life will be happy. Happiness is based on happenings. If certain things happen, I experience more happiness. But we're going to talk this morning about more joy in 2017. And joy is something that we're going to see in God's Word is not based on what's happening outside of me, but what's based on happening inside of me. The choices that I make that are totally under my control. This chapter is going to unpack for us how to experience joy not based on what's happening, but joy based on a relationship with God and His Word and the wisdom that it brings us. It's joy no matter what. Every bit of the wisdom in Philippians 4 is free of charge. In other words, there's not a single thing I'm going to ask you to do this morning that you have to go out and buy. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to create something yourself. Uh, You don't have to go make something. Philippians 4 is going to teach us, not one, not two, but actually, and this was not just because I like top ten lists, but when I studied this chapter from beginning to end, it actually contains ten quick, short principles, words of wisdom, all of which come at no cost or they are free to us, They require no special skills or gifting, so you don't have to be highly intelligent or smarter or more gifted than somebody else. They're available to every person at every economic level and at every skill level in life. And they promise the end result being more joy in our lives in 2017. I like that because God is incredibly smart. So let's look at God's top ten list for more joy in 2017. We're just going to read through the chapter. We'll bring them up. If you want to take a few notes, I've given you the short version as a handout. You may want to pull that out and look at it. You can write a few more notes if you want as we build this list together. Listen to the Word of God, the wisdom of God. Therefore, verse 1, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In fact, let me go on. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Let me go on and just unpack that one. Verse 1. Stand firm, that is, make Jesus Christ the foundation in 2017. Now, most of us, if you're already a follower of Christ, you say, well, I kind of did this in 2016, did it in 2015. In fact, I've, I've kind of tried to make Jesus my foundation for as long as I live. But what I'm talking about is more on a daily basis. This is not talking about just trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to hopefully get you into heaven. But it's talking about a way of life. Stand firm as a lifestyle. This is a daily decision. This is a daily thing that we stand firm in the Lord as opposed to other things. And right away I begin to realize, you know, this is the foundation of the other nine. That without this one, the other nine will never take place. That putting our security and our stability of life in our relationship with Christ instead of the other things that we often trust 
to bring stability and security to life. What are the things that you think we often trust in our culture to provide stability and security? In one word, give me some answers. Finances, a job, government. That one's down lately, but yeah, government. Finances, a job, what else? Marriage, a spouse. Anything else? Those are the top lists, aren't they? Relationships. Financial strength, stability, money, retirement, this and that. You know, we, we, we put all of our security and stability in that. And this says, no, stand firm in the Lord in 2017. When I think, what's that really mean? Let me break it down a little more. When he says stand firm in the Lord, I think of three things. Number one, it's about a relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. Jesus himself in John 15 says, abide in me. Live in dependence upon me. Jesus also says in John 15, abide in my love. In other words, live and draw, abiding, living under the love of God, knowing that you are unconditionally loved by God because of what Jesus did for you on the cross as your resurrected Savior. You have, you have the certainty of his love. You have the certainty of his presence because his spirit lives in us as followers of Jesus. And, and, and thirdly, I think of abiding in his grace. Because grace is that unconditional love of God where God has forgiven you, made you one of His children, and offers you His fullness and His blessing and His presence as a gift. It's not something we earn. If you go through 2017 thinking you're going to earn something from God, you're going to be tired and frustrated and disappointed. And you're going to fail. Because all of us still sin and all of us come up short. But when we abide in a relationship with the living Christ who lives in us, and His grace and His love is always on us, then you have a foundation for tackling whatever 2017 throws at you. That's why I think Paul starts there. Beloved, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then listen to this little insert. Then he gets personal. He says, and I urge Erodia and I urge Syntyche to live, these two women that were in the Philippian church, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also, help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, who have died for their faith even, serving Christ. So Paul identifies two women and he just says, you know, number two, before I go into the rest of my approach to joy, uh, these two women in the church couldn't get along. And we're not told why they got upset with each other. I've never known women to get upset with each other. But these two did. And God says, the rest of you, would you come around and urge them, help them to forgive one another? So to me, it raises an issue, and that is number two, for 2017. If you've got unresolved issues, then learn to get along with people that bug you and disappoint you or even hurt you, because I'm sure these two women felt they had a good reason not to like each other. But he says, in the Lord, in Christ, then you give grace. Forgive as you've been forgiven. 
Make that one of your goals for the year, to look at your relational network of people around you and say, you know, who is it that I'm ticked off at or irritated at because of something that happened in 2016 or way back in time? And you know something? God says, offer them the same grace that I offer to you every day, and you're going to enjoy, you got more joy in 2017. You release that. You say, you know, God, even if they're guilty, you be their judge, you be the jury. You be the one that will decide how they should be treated because of what they did to me. But you need to let it go. And every one of us in this room, perhaps, I know as I thought about this this week, I thought, okay, God, who am I a little still just angry at or whatever? And and, and I think about it. And they never think about it, but I still think about it. And and, and I just need to, to let that go. Remember a few years back, I was uh, serving in a, in a different church And there was a person that had really, really, I mean, just kind of attacked me as an individual, my character, uh, our elder board, our leadership, uh, the direction of our church. They were just, they were were so extreme. And I'll tell you one quick story. They were so extreme that one day I came out of our church. It's a church of about a thousand people at the time. Went out to the parking lot. Under every windshield wiper in the whole parking lot was a letter written by this individual uh, ripping on our church. Now, he's a member of our church, and he writes a letter, nasty letter about the church and what we were doing or not doing or should be doing, put it under every windshield wiper. Now, I was a little irritated. It got so bad that this individual was actually asked not to come by our leadership. But I just carried that bitterness in my heart. I'll never forget one day, I, was, I, I can picture it to this day. It, I still remember it, which probably tells you something, okay? <laughs> I was in CVS Pharmacy on Grand Avenue at about 2, 1... Uh, anyway, I, go, I, I, go, I get in the checkout line at the pharmacy, and I, and I walk in the checkout line, and this individual is right in front of me, and I think, uh-oh, this is going to be a fight. He turns around and says, Hey, Dale, how you doing? And it's like, he's my best friend all of a sudden. And I realized that, you know, what he had done a couple years earlier, he had long since forgotten about and let go of and, and, and moved on. And it was me that was being harmed by my unwillingness to give grace and forgiveness to this man and just let it go and say, God, you deal with it. So go into this new year. Think about your relational network and say, how can I make sure that I'm not spending my time and energy trying to think, how do I get even with somebody? Don't get even, give grace. Don't get even, give grace. Number three, what's the third principle? So finally, he deals off of this. And the third one I build out of what he says about these women, that is, he says, these were women, these are not women that don't love Jesus, these were women that shared my struggle for the cause of the gospel. That's the third principle. They and Paul liked that idea, is they were living, sharing, partnering for the cause of the gospel. The advancement of the kingdom of God. So my number three tip is this. Live for something bigger than you. Live for something bigger than you. Live for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Christ, the impact and spread of his kingdom. Ask yourself, what can I do in 2017 that I've never done before to enhance my ministry for Christ? To make a difference in the world I'm living in. Instead of worrying and focusing on the fact that it's not all the world that I wish it would be. But how does God want to work through us? Every one of us are uniquely designed by God, shaped by Him. 
to be involved in something bigger than us, that is the kingdom of God. Invest in God's kingdom. That's the big idea. That's the big idea. Even saw a news report recently about depression. And on this news report, it actually said that one of the tips, because depression is always up in the new year, in the beginning of the new year, because you realize, okay, the number changed, nothing else is changing. People get depressed. This tip by this psychologist, which I actually like the advice, said this, if you are dealing with depression, one of the things you should do is volunteer to help and serve others somewhere as an action step. Just getting involved, volunteering to help other people that are dealing with their problems will actually help you with your state of depression. So, you know, get involved in the kingdom. Wow, there's so many ways as you serve, as you give, as you volunteer, not just here at Seacoast, but in everyday life. Say, God, how can you use me in 2017? That's one of the goals. Live for something bigger than yourself, even as these two women were, the fellow workers, as he said, for the sake of the gospel. And then in verses 4 through the end of the chapter, really through verse 19, he begins to click off some things that are more what I do as I encounter life. And I love this list. Number four. Number four is this. Listen to the verse first. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known among all men. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he even repeats it. He says, again, I say, rejoice. Just do it. And what his implication is, yeah, he's just said that some of these people serving with him for the gospel, he says some of them, their names are written in the book of life, meaning they've died. They're, they're in an environment in which politically and, and, and socially and in terms of the world that they're living in, they're under persecution for serving and following Jesus Christ. And even then, Paul says, but whatever you're going through, just rejoice. Just rejoice. Rejoice regardless. Practice the priority of praise in your life is my sub-line to this one. Practice the priority of praise. Whenever you're feeling down, whenever you're up against something, step back and engage with the Word of God, engage with the worship of God, and let that engagement lift your spirit. Sing more, complain less would be another way to say this. Sing more, complain less. As I thought about even the practical side of this, I thought, you know, sometimes when I get in the car and I'm stuck in traffic or this and that or having to commute somewhere, I think, you know, what can I do? What do I do with this time? And can I confess one of my, you know, this past year, especially with all the politics going on, I kind of really got hooked on talk radio. Talk radio, talk news, and no matter who you're listening to or watching on TV, you know, I'd turn the radio on, I'd listen to the, to the latest documentary or commentary going on about the world around me. So I got two choices. I tune into some great worship music or I tune into listening to the news. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you spent 30 minutes listening to the news and turned it off and said, man, I feel better? (laughs) When was the last time you did that? See, the news is not written to make you feel better. The parts of the news that would make you feel better largely get ignored. The world is full of bad stuff, and it gets focused on, and if you put all your focus there instead of rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in Christ, you're going to have a pretty bummed year. 
So if to lift your spirit, spend more time rejoicing and less time on everything else. Stop and rejoice. Number five grows out of verse six. And be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. These are tough commands. Rejoice always. Be anxious for nothing. It's the always and the nothing words that make it difficult. But he says, be anxious for nothing, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication, which means telling God what you wish he would do, praying for things, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. It doesn't even make sense. You can't understand it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love these two verses. What it means is, pray more this coming year, but don't just pray more, lead with thanksgiving. Or to make it really practical, try to say, offer two thanks for every ask. Two thanks for every ask. Thank God for at least two things for everything you ask Him for. And if we bend our prayers to lead with thanksgiving, let everything, when you're worried, be anxious for nothing, deal with the anxiety and experience God's peace because you pray but with thanksgiving. I've mentioned this before. I love this passage. It's made a big impact in my life because I realized once, I've realized over over time that at times when I really am stressed, I will get more stressed and more depressed by praying. Because what I do is I just rehearse all the things that I wish were different about my life. Hey, God, guess what? Let's talk. God, I really wish this, 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 this. And you share your wish list with God. You share all the things you wish were different. You ask Him to change all of that. After spending 10, 15, 20 minutes rehearsing everything you wish was different or better in your life, you wonder why you, when you say amen, you feel like you just watch the news. But God says, yeah, bring your request to God. He's listening. He wants you to ask Him to do things to help you, to change things, but do it with thanksgiving. Now, one of the mistakes, one of the mistakes people make in this is they erroneously teach that that means you should go ahead and advance God, go ahead and thank God in advance that everything you ask for is going to happen. Wrong. That's not what this is teaching. I think what it means is stop and think what are all the things that are true about me, my relationship with God, my life? What are all the things that I can always thank God for? I can always say, before I ask God to change anything, just spend a season in thankfulness before you ask for anything. Say, God, thank you for your presence in the midst of what I'm going through. Thank you for your wisdom that you know way more than me. Thank you that you live in me. Thank you that you love me and you will love me through whatever I'm facing or in spite of what I've just done. Thank you, God, for your incredible grace. Thank you that I have the power of your spirit within me. I have the wisdom of your word to guide me. Thank you, God, that I have eternity to look forward to so that even if every day of the rest of my life is really really lousy, you've given me an eternity to anticipate. Wow, thank you for that. 
Thank you for the body of Christ you've surrounded me with. Thank you that I've got other people around me that know and love you and that can help me and, and give me their wisdom. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this. Thank you for, you know, and what you do is after you, after you really cover all the things you're thankful for, then say, all right, now, God, I would like to ask you to please change this or help me with this or provide a job for this or help my children with this or, you know, whatever it is that's burdening you, share your burdens with God. No harm, no foul in doing that. God wants to hear your heart. But if you lead with thanksgiving in 2017 before asking, you're going to see your prayer life change. It's the way God prescribes it. Number five. Number six. Number six. Then he flows out of that with this one. He says, be anxious for nothing. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Now jump to verse eight. He says, and finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation or good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell or focus on these things. Number six is be more positive. Always make a list of, of the all things that are good and review it often. I love this wisdom. He says, stop, slow down. Look at your life. See, you have a choice. You have a choice whether you're going to identify, God, here are the five things that I don't like about my life, and I want to I make a list of those and think about those all the time. Or you can make a list of the top five, or better yet, top ten things that you are that you that are good about your life and focus there and you're gonna have a different attitude you have a different spirit becky and i decided during uh christmas we had a few days off and we thought let's not just sit around and be couch potatoes and my wife really encouraged me uh not that i'm ever a couch potato because i sit in a in a in a recliner but uh <laughs> but the reality is I don't sit on the couch, okay? So I'm a recliner potato at times. You know, and Becky said, let's get up and get out and do something. So we planned this incredible day. She likes to ride bikes. We put our bikes on the back of the car. We said, we're going to go downtown San Diego, ride all around the, the bay and in the airport and everything on those bike lanes. And it's going to be a great, and, you know, we'll get a little bite to eat and, and, and just have a blast. And so we planned this day. So we, we even got away early. We thought we're even getting out of bed and getting away early. So we drive down to San Diego. It's a beautiful sunny day. We approach the area down. We're going to park down next to the midway and take off from there. And right as we begin to get down, all of a sudden, man, traffic just went stopped. It was locked up. It was locked up. Some fool planned a parade for that day. <laughs> the biggest event in downtown San Diego, I've been told. I mean, the, the holiday uh, whatever, bold extravaganza parade. Someone said they have more inflatable balloons than anywhere in the world. And yeah, Becky and I watched them from our car sitting in traffic for over an hour. And I just began to get angry. It's like, God, how could you let this happen to me? What fool planned the parade? What other fool planned no way to get out of it? And we were well over an hour sitting in traffic, maybe moved two blocks until we could get out of it. Then we couldn't find a place to park. 
because of all the fools that went to the parade that were already parked. You know, I mean, anyway, but anyway, you know, I'm still getting a little angry right now thinking about it. But it did kind of hit me. All of a sudden it hit me. I said, wait a minute. I'm just so focused on what's bad about this day. And I literally kind of turned to switch by the grace of God. And I said, you know, Lord, forgive me for just complaining. I had to apologize to Becky later because I got a little snippy at her, too, because, you know, it was her idea, right? Now, I was wise enough not to say that until I was in front of 300 people. But yeah, it was, it was her idea. But, you know, so, so, but finally, you know, after kind of being snippy one time, I said, you know, honey, I'm sorry. I think I have a really bad attitude. I said, it's a beautiful day. The sun's out. You got people that, I, I learned that San Diego is the number three destination for tourists in the world or something like that during Christmas. All these people, they, they fly across the crazy country to come here and watch this parade, and now I'm angry that I'm in the middle of it. We eventually found a place to park and got on our bikes and had a blast, and the rest of the day finished really well. But, you know, what do you choose to dwell on? When things are not working out, do you dwell on the stuff that it's not working out, or do you say, okay, wait a minute, God, you tell me to focus my mind on what is good, what is right, what is true, what is honorable, what is pure, what is excellent. Let your mind dwell on these things. And you experience the peace of God. See, it was my attitude that was the problem, not the parade. My attitude was totally under my control. I could choose where to focus my mind. So be more positive. Make a list of the good stuff. Review it often. Number seven, I love this one. He says, and by the way, these things, these things like how to pray, how to focus on the positive, how to abide in Christ, how to rejoice always, these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in God. Does it say that? Oh, no, no, no. Look at this. Look at this. These things that you have heard and seen And received in me. You've seen them in me. You've heard them from me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying, number seven, is find a mentor that's a little further down the road spiritually than you are. And watch him or her. Listen to him or her. Observe how they practice life and imitate it. Practice it yourself. It's a great, you know, Paul is saying, watch the way I do these things and learn from me. That wasn't because Paul had a big ego, but he knew that for most of us, we need to see this Christian life lived out by real people that are not Jesus. They're everyday people like you and me that have their flaws, but they're living it out and you learn from someone else. This past year, um, Becky and I were processing a huge change in our life as we were trying to think through um, the shift that we went through to decide to go from working full-time for a church, which we had done for 38 years, and knowing that every two weeks you got the paycheck coming every two weeks, and you, that's what you do. I've been a pastor for 38 years, and this past year, uh, you know, we felt 
that God was leading us as we tried to pray through our struggles and our problems and, and our future, and God was consistently saying to my heart and then to Becky's heart, you know, it's time to make a shift and spend more time helping other pastors, other churches, especially in Africa. But to do that, it was kind of scary because it meant being part-time with the church and having to figure out how to finance the other half of our life. And we had never been through that. We had never done that. So I started meeting with an older guy who had been through life a little more than me and just to try to listen and, and process this. And it was incredibly helpful, even though we only met a few a few times, but during those times, I'll never forget, um, he had some very deep questions. He'd listen to me kind of talk and talk about, oh, I'm do it. Can I do this or not do this? or you know. And, and finally, he just said, well, Dale, I think the key question is you need to ask is probably, what do you think God wants you to do? I said, well, that's not fair <laughs> to simplify it like that. But it was wise. What do you think God wants you to do? And that just haunted me. And I began to say, well, okay, I, I think God wants me to go for this. And, and he says, and the second question is, so why, what's the problem? Why is this a struggle? And I had to face the fact the struggle had to do with my own fears, my own insecurity, my own desire to be like every other American and have this... Um, plan for retirement and this and that and you know all the things that come with with uh kind of flipping the switch when you're in your early 60s very early 60s um well mid to late early 60s but that's called denial but anyway you know but it had to do with my own fears and my own insecurities and and well, that's not the way i've done it for 38 years god But it was helpful to process that with someone a little wiser than me, further down the road than me, who would just ask me the hard questions and encourage me to process that. So I think you'll have a better 2017 if, like Paul says, hey, the things that you've learned and seen and, and that you've seen in me, you practice these things. I love the fact that he says, he didn't say you master these things. He says you practice these things. Just start doing it until you get good at it. Practice. Just do it, to quote Nike. Just do it. And you'll learn. So maybe there's a part of your life this year that what you need in your life is someone that will just give you some mentoring to help you in the coming year. So you can process your fears, you process your anxieties, your issues that may be holding you back from simply saying, well, God, if you want me to do this, then why not? Which actually leads to number eight on the list. I love how practical God's word is. And the why not is because God's going to meet your needs. Therefore, nurture contentment, spend, more than, spend less than you make, is number eight, nurture contentment. And listen to what he says, because he's just talked about how uh, to practice these things. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, 
verse 10, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. What's he mean by that? I know how to get along on humble means, means poverty. I also know how to live in prosperity, means abundance. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of being filled or going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. In other words, Paul says, you know, I don't worry about having enough. Because I've learned that if I have Christ, and if I am walking with Him and following my God, I can be content at whatever level of income I'm at. Now that's a big challenge for those of us who've been raised in the American culture big challenge for me that was at the root of a lot of my struggle was a lack of contentment not even with what i had but what i feared might be ahead and so nurturing contentment and if you want to get practical in the year here's a simple goal for your year figure out how much you're going to make and spend less than that it's really heavy financial planning okay Just look at what you have and decide to spend a little less than what you have. That's a great place to start out the new year. Because how much of our stress is really built on debt? It's built because we get ourselves into debt, because we're trying to fulfill all these things that might make us happy, so we just spend more than we have, and next thing you know, we're in debt, and we're paying a lot of interest, and the credit cards are rung up, and this and that, and... And, and, you know, and, and, and so simply this principle alone can give you more joy in 2017. But it's, com- it's, it's intimately connected with the next statement. Because the reason Paul knew that he could be content and live at any level that his life might, might, might his circumstances might create, the reason was the next verse. It's connected. And he says, and... Verse 13, I can do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you don't nurture contentment unless you're willing to take the challenge and trust that Christ will be your power and your provision for facing whatever you face in life. This verse gets applied very broadly to everything in life. In this context, it's specifically tied to this idea of can you be content to live at the level God places you, whether it's in abundance or whether it's with lack, whether it's with poverty or with prosperity, are you content to to live there knowing that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Christ promises to strengthen you to live at whatever level you end up being at in 2017. Now, does this verse apply beyond finances? I think it does. Because I think this verse and this concept is repeated all through Scripture, that it's Christ who enables us to do whatever God calls us to do. So that's why I call number nine, take the challenge, trusting in His power And his provision, I would add that word, trusting in his power and his provision, you can do whatever God calls you to do. 
in 2017. Does this mean that you can, um, you know, climb Mount Everest if you trust in Jesus? Well, no, not if you're carrying the extra weight that I am. Does this mean you can run a four-minute mile? No, most of us will never do that. So when he says, I can do all things through Christ, he's not talking about all things exclusively. He's talking about anything that God calls you to do. That's my definition of all things. Whatever God calls me to do as I follow Jesus, I can do it knowing that in Christ, He is my power, my provision. So is there a challenge that you've been backing away from in 2016 that in 2017 you're going to say, you know, Dale, if this is what God is calling me to do, I need to trust the power and presence of Christ and go for it. That's my application. Last but not least, there's a tenth one. He ends by just esteeming their generosity. He talks about the Philippians and the fact that he says, you yourselves know, Philippians, verse 15, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So this was a church that had been sacrificially giving to support the mission of the Apostle Paul. So he says, thank you for that. And then he says this, I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen! Yeah. Now that promise, verse 19, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that is actually not made to every Christian. In the context, it's a promise that's made to Christians who trust God and sacrificially are generous and give to support His kingdom. That's who He's making that statement to. I think we have to be a little careful to think, you know something, I can just go out and live any way I want to live and disregard the Word of God and live outside of the will of God and dishonoring to God and, and, and you know, I can live a life that says it's all about me and not really care about His kingdom, but God's promised to supply all my needs. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where that promise is given without it being connected to some form of generosity. For example, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I'll take care of you. So I don't want to burst the bubble of some bad theology today as you start the new year, but realize this promise is given to people that are willing to take a challenge, increase generosity, trusting that God is going to provide for me. He provides my resources. He provides my power. He provides my peace. So in 2017, there are 10 great tips. Sometimes 10 things can overwhelm you. So my encouragement to you is to take this list of 10 home and pray it through and see if three, maybe three of them pop to the surface. 
and say, you know, God, yeah, I want to seek to live out all 10 of these in 2017, but, you know, God, would you please, by your Spirit, show me where I'm not trusting you. Show me which three of these, two of these, maybe it's just one of these. I don't know. You deal with that. But God, which of these really speaks into my life? Which of these did I ignore in 2016 that if I obey them in 2017, I will experience joy? Joy. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the promises of your word that you really want to enrich our lives with joy. Not just with shallow happiness, but with a joy that's based in the wisdom and the love and the grace of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing us the foundation to build on, to rest in, to rely upon. And I pray that as we go through the uh, new year together, um, Father, help me to live out all ten of these more consistently. Thank you for your grace and your love and your forgiveness when I fail, which I will. But may I fail less often because I trust you more often. And I stay focused on the wisdom of your word. May it be a joyful 2017. In Christ's name. And Father, even as we worship now and conclude with our giving, we thank you that uh, we enter the new year with the privilege of learning the priority of praise and the priority of saying thanks to you and the priority of generosity to support and engage with the work of your kingdom. That's why we do this. So we do it with joy. Receive our gifts in Christ's name. Amen.